uh, we were booking massive DJs. And, and Richard Carr, who I know has been on your podcast, yeah. um, he had a club at the other end of town called Crank. He had a couple of good promoters working for him. Yeah. And it turned into an absolute war. He used to send a limousine yeah. to our club and get his promoters out of the limousine to people in our queue offering free champagne and free limousine rides to Crank. <laughs> And I stand there watching our punters yeah. get into his limousine and yeah. go to his club, and I'm just like, "How can yeah. you compete with that?" Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, and it was he, he'd, he'd book Eric Prids, we'd book David Guetta, we'd wow. book Marillo. He'd he's like a DJ wow. war. Were you burning cash at a point for fuck you? Mm. We're going to win this battle. Yeah, it got it got ultra competitive. Okay. It got ultra okay. competitive, um, and and actually quite nasty and toxic. Yeah. Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. Josh Simons has hospitality running through his veins. At the age of 21, he launched his first nightclub as part of the family business, and then went international operating nightclubs in Sandbanks, London, Marbella and Barbados. 10 years later, he left the family business and went out alone to explore ventures in the nightclub, restaurant, events world, and also marketing. He's now co-owner and founder of the multi-award winning Chicken and Blues restaurants, and is expanding his portfolio of food and drink businesses. Josh has had his fair share of bumps in the road along the way, so it's great to hear about his journey, resilience, and how he spots his next opportunity. This is the eventful life of Mr. Josh Simons. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me, mate. Appreciate yeah. it. Looking forward to this one, mate. Let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you get into the world of nightclubs, events, and now restaurants? Um, well, I, I was born in London, uh, grew up, went to school in London until the age of 16. And my my family all had their own businesses. In fact, my my dad, my uncle, and my granddad um, started Mark One, a discount fashion retailer. Oh, right, yeah. uh, ended up having 120 stores around the UK. So I grew up surrounded by you know business chat yeah. at home. You yeah. know, um, but they they came out of Mark One. My dad opened restaurants in London. Um, I then went and started working from at the weekends at 13, 14 years old in the kitchen, KPing, you know, taking out bills to customers, that sort yeah. of thing. Got kind of a handle on hospitality at a young age. Uh, we then moved to Bournemouth uh, when I was 18, 19. And uh, my dad opened Cafe Shore in Sandbanks. Um, so I worked there. He then sold it to my auntie, moved into Bournemouth and opened a, a venue called Jimmy's. Mm -hmm. um, Jimmy's was a, a restaurant bar. The first of its kind really in town, a hybrid restaurant bar, quite a mm. cool one. Mm. Um, I didn't really enjoy working in the restaurant as a waiter or behind the bar, um, but a shop next door became available. Um, and at that time, I started going to clubs in London in the West End, looking at VIP table clubs and that sort of concept. Bournemouth didn't have that sort of concept. Mm. So pitched my dad the idea of opening up a nightclub. Um, we called it Jimmy's Club. He, he backed me on it and I was 21 at the time. And that was my first kind of uh, foray into business. Um, responsible for the creation of it, uh, recruitment, launching it, promoting it, that whole sort of thing. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that was my first nightclub. 
Mm. Went really, really well. Um, off the back of that, we did events and that sort so of stuff. So what? So let's roll back a little bit there. Mm. What What year was it when your dad opened up Cafe Shore? So it would have been nineteen ninety nine. Okay, two thousand. And that then. cafe that 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 was probably the creme de la creme of hotspots around the UK. It, it was. I mean, at the time, Sandbanks wasn't what it is now. Yeah. Um, it was kind of what just, even twenty years ago. Yeah. Really? I mean, it, there, okay. there was no. You know, great restaurants around there. Yeah. Um, it was all a bit old. A lot of the property that you see in Sandbanks now wasn't there then. It yeah. was old, like bungalows and stuff like yeah. that. Obviously, the landscape and the environment was incredible. Yeah. Um, there were people there with money. Mm. Uh, my dad instantly, um, you know, pinpointed the fact that there was no high-end, fashionable brasserie, restaurant, bar-type venues like he had in London. Um, so he, he bought what was like a greasy spoon cafe at the time. And turned it into Cafe Shore, uh, which at the time was was brand new. And you know, all the nice cars outside, yeah. and all, all the local go, you know guys yeah. doing well and girls doing well, yeah. dining in there, whether they live there or not. Yeah. And and then suddenly Sandbanks kind of had a crest of a wave, yeah. property, uh, TV with you know yeah. Piers Morgan and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And suddenly it become this you know exclusive yeah. peninsula that everyone wants to go to. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was quite uh, you know looking back, my dad had quite. Of good vision there yeah. because no one else had thought of it. A really um, good vision, and yeah. I remember, I remember having really good times in there. It was a fantastic yeah. restaurant. It's about the time you moved down yourself, yeah, wasn't that's it? Right. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic restaurant, yeah. great service, really good food. It was good, um, and it was a big restaurant. It was. Well, actually, when he had it initially, it was just a kind of. Uh, it's now Rick Stein, obviously. Yeah. My family sold it to Rick Stein yeah. seven, eight years ago, but um, it was just the ground floor. Yeah. Uh, my dad ran it himself, like he did his restaurants in London. He was there, you know, split shift six days a week, uh, hosting. Yeah. Um, when he came out of the fashion industry, he knew nothing about restaurants. So he, yeah. he taught himself everything um, and was a fantastic people person uh, and hosted the, the restaurant as like a, you know, as an owner manager, effectively. Yeah. Uh, when he sold it to my auntie, they then went and got planning and opened up the, the glass peninsula ah. side restaurants. They doubled the size of it oh, and turned it into a bit of a monster of a business. Yeah. You know? And they had a good 10 year run there um, before a fire incident yeah. um, and then selling to Rick Stein. So, um, yeah, it was a good journey for them. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about the fire incident. What happened there? Well, I, the rumour on the mill was, yeah. oh, my God, they've set fire to their restaurant. Yeah, yeah absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Absolutely rubbish. It happened at like two in the afternoon on a Tuesday in August, the busiest yeah. month of the year for Cafe Shore. Um, there was, I think, some kind of fuse issue in the bar. It lit up and within 15 minutes, the whole place had gone, had gone up, evacuated the building. Kids were in their families, all that yeah. sort of thing. So I was actually sat at home and, and it was on ITV News and mm. I was like, that's Cafe Shaw. Mm. Rung my cousin Ben. I was like, mate, you're right. He was mm. like, mate, I can't believe it. It's just gone up yeah. behind the bar. Um, and, and they had this, you know, it's traumatic. You know, they, they built that business for 10, 12 years. That's your baby, um, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, um, you know, spent millions of pounds on the on the refits mm. and the extensions, etc. cetera. Uh, had a really fantastic business. And um, it went up in flames. Mm. So, you know, that was traumatic for the family. Uh, Rick Stein came in and, and, uh, and purchased the, the, uh, the property. Um, so did you get? Itself. So did you get them? Did you get the insurance money back to say, okay, I, we can, I, we can I, redo this up? Or don't know the ins and outs of yeah. whether the insurance payout was made. I don't think it yeah. was actually. Um, it wasn't. Made. I think it's still going. They're still going through it now. You're joking, I, I believe. Um, so yeah, it's, it was a mess. Ten, eight years later. Yeah, still, it's still kind of rumblings. Um, it was a messy situation. Yeah. Um, down to admin, I yeah. think more than anything else with the insurance company because they, they don't like paying out, do they? No. So why so, is the insurance company saying we're not paying you? I don't actually know. No, I don't okay. actually know, but I believe it was it was down to the way the insurance was set up and the trading company it was set up in or something right, like okay. that. So, okay. um, yeah, that's that's my cousin's business. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to talk too much about yeah. what, what he what he's getting up to or what uh, what happened to him. But yeah. uh, it was not nice. Yeah. You know, he was a young guy running a restaurant for his family um, and didn't deserve to have to deal yeah. with this sort of stuff. You know, it put him in the whole world of trouble, really. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, yeah, but we we moved into Bournemouth at that point. Um, we opened Jimmy's. So Jimmy's at that Club. point, you flip. You at that point, you flipped on Cafe Shore, and then Rick Stein's come and he said. Rick, Stein, Rick Stein's had it. Um, I know my cousin Ben had spoken to famous celebrity chefs when he had Cafe Shaw who, yeah. who'd wanted uh, or shown an interest in putting their name above the door. Yeah. Um, and he always said to me, uh, Ben, my cousin, that, you know, we're doing well, but yeah. if you had to put Ramsey, yeah. Pierre White, yeah. Stein yeah. above here, yeah. then it's busy all year round, yeah. you know, um, not quite so seasonal. Yeah. Um, and Rick Stein's proved that. I mean, I've never been in there when it's not been busy. It's true, isn't um, it? He's, he's doing phenomenally well. But, yeah. you know, the guy's got a TV station pretty much dedicated yeah. to him on, on Sky. You know, yeah. he's a very, very famous chef, very likable guy, yeah. uh, very respected. And, and you know, it's a good operation, good mm. brand. Is the rent high down there, Sandbanks? I think it's, it was very high, uh, very high. Um, you know, which is okay when you're Rick Stein and yeah. you're busy all year round. Yeah. But um, when it's more seasonal trade, independent owner. Yeah. You can't be charging, you know, national chain pricing. Yeah. Um, but the land, landlords aren't stupid, are they? Yeah. They, know, they know what they can achieve. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it was a it was a big, uh, expensive business to run. Can you remember how much it was a year, roughly? We're looking 150, 200 grand. Around that ballpark. Okay. Around that ballpark. Yeah. But then it's all the all the you know, oh, exterior God, yeah. costs, the rates, you know, yeah. um, running costs to, yeah. to to heat and light a, bit, a building that yeah. big. Um, you know, it's open 9am till midnight, seven days a week. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a serious operation. Yeah. So, you know, I've got a lot of respect for my cousin Ben because he was only 19 when he started running it um, and, uh, you know, became a very sharp guy. Yeah. He was sharp as a kid, uh, but to run a, run a business of that size. Of and also with the clientele that he was dealing with, it's not yeah. a fast food restaurant. This yeah. is like, you know, Harry and Sandra. Yeah. This is, you know, wealthy business people. Yeah. This is, you know, a very high maintenance clientele yeah. in many ways that need looking after. Yeah. Um, and he did a great job of that. Yeah. Yeah, massive respect to him because yeah. when I every time I went there it was uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, that yeah, was a good restaurant. And then your movement from there, then Josh, what was your movement from there? Then so Going into we went, we town went to, yeah, we went to town. Um, I obviously I was twenty one. I I opened up Jimmy's Club. My dad had Jimmy's restaurant and bar next door. Um, you know, we we launched it. I, I obsessed about nightclubs. I did yeah. so much research. My mum was an interior designer. Roughly, what year are we talking now? We're talking two thousand and one. Okay, two thousand and one ish. Yeah, um, no, two thousand two. Two thousand two yeah. was. Um, we were up in London, looking at me and mum in, in Kingley Court in Soho. We're at Movida nightclub. We're yeah. looking at lighting, Checking looking everything. at furniture. We're looking yeah. at everything. That's the everything. fun bit, right? Oh, that, that yeah. was that was that was a great uh, yeah. great phase of that development of, of that brand. And then we came down. We launched it, um, and it went really well. I mean, it, it was you know uh, two two and a half years we had it before we sold it, and and it was you know the people queuing up before we opened the doors every night. Um, people paying ten quid to get in on a Friday and a Saturday night. This was the club, wasn't it? Next this door. Was the club next and what was door. the capacity of that club? The capacity was small, uh, yeah. just under two hundred. Yeah, but it um, felt very exclusive, didn't it? Well, that that was the that was the concept. It was you know tables, bottle to table service, yeah, which um, was new back then. New, new back then, especially you know, for Bournemouth. Yeah, mm. fireworks on the bottles as yeah. they came out. I mean, the look on the people's faces when we first did that, they were like, "What the hell is going on yeah. here?" They hadn't seen it down yeah. in Bournemouth. It was kind of new that's in a, London. That's an extra fifty quid, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it, it was a new concept for Bournemouth, yeah. and in fact, it was relatively new in London at that yeah, time. Agreed. We'd come over from Vegas, yeah. um, so brought that that kind of experience to town, um, and it went very well for for a couple of years. And we, we hosted, you know, celebrities, footballers, the kind of crowd you want in a club like that. Yeah. Um, alongside all the locals getting dressed up, you yeah. know, very exclusive, like dress code was pretty strict, etc. Yeah. Um, and then we got offered a load of money, uh, well, my dad did, mm. um, for Jimmy's Club and Jimmy's combined. Mm. Um, got offered around a million quid, mm. which in those days for a lease was like unheard of. Yeah. So we sold it. Mm. Um, and me, as it's my first business experience, couple of years journey, mm. uh, when I was 21 to 23, um, suddenly I thought business was quite easy. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I've had this experience, yeah. I've created this thing. It's been really successful. Yeah. We've sold it for a few quid. Yeah. I'm driving around in a Mercedes, got yeah. my own little flat. 
I'm a legend. Yeah. And, and, you know. And so how old were you roughly then? 22, 23, 23, 22, okay. 23. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, got led into a false sense of security, really. Yeah. Uh, got a bit arrogant about business, yeah. about how easy it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's quite the opposite, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, we then went into town. My dad used the majority of, of that cash. But just, just before on. there, like mm. Jimmy's Restaurant, yeah. again, a wonderful brand. Yeah. I thought so. As a yeah. Londoner Thanks. coming in there, I was like, this is a wonderful brand, great mm. service. The rosé was being poured yeah, yeah, yeah. quickly. It was great service. It had a nice vibe. It had yeah. that white feel in there. And yeah, yeah. it was all good. What was the next step? But wasn't there Monk Breeze as well? That was after. Was that so, after? Yeah, so that, that was years later, actually. Um, we went from selling Jimmy's and Jimmy's Club to opening up Landmark in 2020 uh, in Bournemouth Town Centre. Which is that massive church. Massive church, which is now Halo Nightclub. Yeah. We, we we took it um, on when it was just decommissioned as a church. Like there was still nothing in there at all. Um, my dad used or leveraged a lot of the money that we'd, we'd, we'd uh, drawn from the Jimmy's sale. Yeah. Um, borrowed two an odd million quid off the banks. Yeah. Uh, spent 1.2 million pound on that church Doing to turn it, it into landmark, you know, yeah. floating mezzanine floors that you see in there now were all um, yeah. built from from that project. Uh, and we created a, a dinner and show concept, which was, you know, come in, have dinner. There's a big stage there and, and live shows come on stage. Yeah. And next door, 2020 nightclub, which was a thousand capacity four room nightclub where we brought over David Guetta, Eric Murillo, you know, mm. major stars um, mm. from around the world. Um, but whilst they were trading well, uh, and you know, in those days, I, I suppose I thought a good business was one that was busy. Yeah. Um, the 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 financial structure of yeah. the company um, with the bank debt yeah. and cross guarantees against my dad's family home. Yeah. Did he have PGs on his family home? Yeah, PGs on family home. Oh, um, he's a risk taker, my dad. Yeah. You know, to his detriment sometimes. Yeah. Um, the credit crunch in two thousand eight. Yeah. Uh, banks called the money back. Yeah. Interest rates went up. Uh, couldn't afford the bank debt. Yeah. I said to my dad in a meeting once, I was like. So even if we're double as busy as we are now mm. and we're busy, um, that's only going to really wash our faces yeah. with this bank debt. Yeah. And he was like, that's the reality. Yeah. And overnight, um, you know, we lost the clubs. Mm. Um, Dad lost his house. Mm. Uh, well, our cars were put through the business in those days. Really? Cars, dropped the cars yeah. back. And I, you know, literally went from from hero to zero, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and had to start again. Yeah. The choices were, okay, do I go and get a job? Uh, I was like, well, I've considered myself maybe unemployable at that yeah. point because I just, you know, I'd, I'd never worked for anyone yeah. apart from my dad. Yeah. Um, didn't know what it meant to have a job, really. Yeah. Uh, I wish I did in many ways. Um, or I can go and try and start something else. And um, funnily enough, or not funnily enough, unfortunately for them, the guys that had bought Jimmy's and Jimmy's Club had, had basically uh, run it into the ground, yeah. for want of a better phrase. Um, and it was kind of coming on the market again. Yeah. Um, so we bought back Jimmy's Club yeah. and I turned that into Priva. Uh, and we bought back Jimmy's restaurant yeah. and we turned it into Monk Breeze Bar and Brasserie. So uh, that was the kind of uh, yeah. full circle. Okay. That kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. Really good to hear. Yeah. Going back to that, mm. isn't it amazing that you can convert a church yeah. into a party venue? Yeah, well, we, we did get quite a lot of backlash you from did. kind of religious yeah. types. Um, what sort of church backlash? Girls, oh, they're coming saying it's an absolute disgrace. How yeah. can you possibly be serving alcohol in this holy church yeah. and all that sort of thing? Um, so, you know, yeah, we, we did come up against a bit of backlash with that, mm. but, uh, churches make for great venues. They do. <laughs> they, Amazing. High ceilings. I know. think that, I think what, there, there was a church I went to in Nottingham years ago. Yeah. I think that, that landmark or now that whatever the church is yeah, now, yeah. what a, what a venue. Incredible. And what a, what a, uh, 
What to have that foresight from your old man? Yeah. Was it his foresight or your yeah. foresight? No, it was him. It was yeah. him. I mean, he actually, I think he bought it at auction. Um, he went to an auction. It was up, it was up at auction he, and he bought it. Well, actually, um, bought the lease. Bought the lease, yeah. Do you know how much he paid? Uh, it's quite I've, expensive, I've, though. I've, right? no, in fact, I don't know whether it's... Uh, you think he bought the property yeah. and did like a sale and a leaseback deal. Right, okay. a complex property instrument. Yeah. Um, but I think he paid about 400 grand. Yeah. Uh, and then we went and spent well over a million on it. Yeah. Um, and spent a million on the club next door, which was K Bar years ago. I turning it twenty twenty. Yeah. Well. That was another great building yeah. for the club, loads of different rooms, great. like a house. So um so yeah, we went through that journey of, you know, having some success, going big with the yeah. big venues, risking it all, yeah. uh, sticking it all on the table. Yeah. And then and then falling flat on our faces yeah. really. Um I kind of felt a bit guilty because I'd pushed my dad into nightclub sort of nightlife thing. Mindset. He was more of a restaurant guy. Yeah. yeah. Um and I and I was obviously young. Didn't yeah. really like working in restaurants. Yeah. Really loved the buzz of nightclubs and parties and events yeah. as a guy in his early 20s. Yeah. Um, and pushed him into that. Yeah. So kind of feel partly responsible mm. for the demise because mm. it was kind of my idea. Mm. I mean, the, the, the landmark itself was was a brilliant piece of vision for my dad. And it was a restaurant concept with a, with live shows. And that, it, was, it was called Landmark. The church called was called Landmark, landmark yeah, wasn't we, it? we called it Landmark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Landmark Restaurant Theatre. So if I remember rightly, when, when I went there a mm. few times, uh, courtesy of you, very kind. Yes, yes, actually, thanks. they've got a great big front stage. Just, to, right. just to let the listeners know, how would you describe the landmark? So the landmark um, was uh, a three hundred seater restaurant. Um, it had a restaurant on the ground floor, restaurant on a floating mezzanine all the way around, yeah. leaving one end where we had a live stage. Yeah. Um, so you come in at seven, eight o'clock, have dinner, three course meal, and then at ten o'clock, a band would come on yeah. or a live act or whatever. And then after the show be a little bit of a DJ and it closed at 12, one o'clock. Yeah. So it really, really met the needs of um, a broad spectrum of ages. Yeah. Kind of place you could take your mum and dad because yeah. it was like a, I don't know, an ABBA show or yeah. something you know, cheesy like that. Yeah. Um, have dinner, nice and safe, have a little party, yeah. um, you know, and then go home at a reasonable time. Mm. So it was a great concept. But mm. uh, as I said, you know, busy businesses aren't necessarily profitable ones. That's right. um, and and we, we were busy but we couldn't service the debts yeah. that we'd taken on. So that, that was the reason for their demise. Do you find that when you were looking back at, when you look back at the risk your old man took and, mm. and the risk you took back then, when times are going good, it's all great. And mm. when you when you are a success in something, you think, oh, I can do that again. I'll definitely make yeah. that success. It's not always the case. It's not always the case. Mm. Um, you know, as, as we've proven ourselves, mm. you know, um, I think timing has a lot to, to do with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've opened up businesses which would have been great at a different time. Um, we've opened up businesses which we were fully, you know, behind ourselves in belief, believing it's going to work, and yeah. it just didn't for some yeah. reason. Um, you know, there's lots of reasons why businesses work or don't work. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit, it's a little bit of potluck. But I think as you go through the process of of, of failing and or opening businesses that that don't quite hit the mark, yeah. you get slightly more sharp as to yeah. why they may not have worked, yeah. and try not to make that mistake again. Yeah. And eventually, you might land on something where you've got the ingredients right. It just pops. Yeah, agree. That's, that's it. What do you, do you think? Like, obviously, you're bringing a wonderful London, New York, American feel concept down to mm. Bournemouth and Poole. Do you feel that the demographics aren't there to make them a success? You mean with the restaurant side of things? Yes, the amount of people that are around the, here. The only thing I'll say is that um, it's like you, you can't compare the, the the population and the wealth density of London yeah. to Bournemouth. Yeah. Of course you can't. Um, what I would say is there are people down here that, that do know good stuff. Yeah. They, they go they go away for it. Yeah. You know, they go abroad, they go to London, they go to Manchester, they go to different cities. So when we brought these concepts to town, 
um, I think what we had to realise was it might just be busy at the weekends. Yeah. Um, in London, you know, the Hacker Sands and Nobu's and Wednesday, Zubas. Thursday, Friday. Sunday. I mean, I've been in yeah. there on a Tuesday lunchtime, yeah. can't get it to Ramo, yeah. They're just busy all day, yeah. every day yeah. because they've got that city life. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, you know, company cards being used yeah. to pay for these bills. Yeah. Um, whereas down here, you know, we opened up restaurants that were, they ticked over during the week yeah. and then packed at the weekend. Yeah. But then, you know, we're not paying 500 grand a year rent. Yeah. We're paying 25, 30 grand yeah. a year rent. So yeah. it's all kind of, you know, it, it works. Mm. Um, but, you know, the days of, of uh, ever thinking it might be like London down here. Yeah. You can bring some of the, the elements of London here, but understand it's got to fit into the Bournemouth way of life. Yeah. Maybe we've made the error before of thinking we can get more out of Bournemouth yeah. than, than is here. Yeah. Nightclubs being a good example. I mean, midweek, it's students. Yeah. It's, it's young young people. It's, it's one ninety nine two pound drinks. Yeah. London, midweek, mm. there's small clubs taking 200 grand. A yeah. load of Russian dudes turn yeah. up, a load of you know yeah. Arab guys turn up, yeah. 50 grand on the table. Yeah. Never get that involved yeah. midweek. Mm. So, uh, yeah, different different audience. Were you were you gutted about Landmark because you, you obviously mm. saw a good business model there and you yeah. saw you saw a gap in the market. How did you feel when it when you saw realising that the sums weren't working? I was gutted because I thought we created a good concept mm. and, I, and I thought we created a brand and product that that people enjoyed buying. Um, they enjoyed the experiences. So so the fact that that was kind of being swept from under our feet for a reason other than product and people. It was a financial issue yeah. uh, for the, stru- you know, the actual structure of the company. Was 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 terribly, um, you know, hard to take at the mm. time. Um, it was massively humbling mm. um, because, you, like you say, you have a few successes mm. and you've got a busy play, few venues, and you think, oh, you know, I'm really good at this, yeah. and people think I'm good at this, yeah. and it's your e- ego starts getting in the way, yeah. um, and then it goes, you know, take it from under your feet, and mm. you go, wow. Maybe I'm not as good at as good at business as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more elements to having a successful company than whether you've got a queue outside yeah. the, the door. Yeah. Um, so I had to go back to ground zero um, and actually reconsider whether I could do this stuff and where I was actually failing and yeah. wh- wh- where I was good, yeah. and where I wasn't, yeah. and just br- try and bring people in um, that that could you know cover the gaps yeah. that were obviously in my business makeup. Yeah. Look um, after your weaknesses, and you concentrate on what you're good at. Yeah, well, I yeah. failed again with the yeah. Priva with the Priva Club. So what um, year? Yeah. So what year did Landmark end? Landmark was, to, I think, it must have been 2008. To, yeah, Credit Crunch. It was 2000, 2009. And yeah. then was it 2008? You went back and said, you know, I'm gonna open up a club called Priva. To, yeah, 2008, 2009. Yeah, it was kind of that end of that summer, I think. Um, what made you want to go back into the nightclub world? I, I wish I wish I hadn't yeah. actually, yeah. but I think you know. You, you might get to a stage in your in your business journey where you think that's all you know, yeah. And and trying something brand new is quite scary, yeah. Um, you know, you don't feel like you're an expert at anything else, but you know how this business works. Mm. So it was the easiest option, and and I had an opportunity to get that club back yeah. like six weeks after the others had been shut. Yeah. So I was like, well, I need to earn money, yeah. Um, and and I've been given this opportunity in a sector that I do understand. Yeah. In fact, I used to own that bloody club. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go back and do it. Yeah. Um, so that that was the reason, but. Um, I think money money was the was the major priority, and unfortunately, unfortunately, I think a lot of business people will, will agree that when you start making decisions based on money being yeah. a priority, Agreed. you can you can make the wrong decisions. Yeah. And I think going back into clubs was a, was a, was a bad idea. Yeah. And how long did you have Priva for? Uh, well, we had we had the bricks and mortar club for five six years from two thousand eight to thirteen. Yeah. Uh, we in the mean in in the, the middle of that journey in two thousand eleven two thousand twelve we opened a, another Priva club in Barbados. Mm. Which was um, a you know interesting journey. Mm. Um, I remember that. I yeah, remember you've what, been there. Yeah. yeah, you've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't remember the girls walking past you. Like, Dodge. Yeah, <laughs> was it a blonde girl? Blonde Kate. Yeah, Kate. Kate. Kate flew over from Bournemouth with my sister Sophia to run the club. Really? And they, they, nice they, little club. 
lovely little club um, in Hull Town there yeah. on the west coast. Yeah. So, what made you get? What made the family think? Was it your old man or was it you at the uh, time? It was, it was my dad again. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got get your old man oh, on the show. God, I know. I tell you, he's, he's yeah, he's got a few stories. Yeah, I'm sure. But um, we used to go to Barbados uh, on holiday for uh, Christmas. Yeah, okay. Since I was a kid. Yeah. Every year, and um, got to know people over there. Yeah. And we had obviously had the clubs in in England, and we we knew someone over there in, in property. Yeah. And he was like, "Look, here's an opportunity. Come and open a club in Hull Town." Yeah. For me, it was like, "This is the big, this is the yeah. dream." Yeah, of I course. Mean, for me, I wanted Prever. I, I was had visions of it being a global yeah. VIP nightclub yeah. brand. This was like my ticket to yeah. the first part of that journey. So yeah, I was yeah. like, "Dad, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it." Um, so he flew over there, met a few people, um, and and we, we ended up opening Prever in Hull Town. Um, obviously, I was I was here running the business here. My sister and Kate went to Barbados. You got there. you got the short straw, mate. Oh, I'm out tell you. <laughs> okay. I was like, your you sister know, had it right, right off. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they lived over <laughs> there for, for for three years. Yeah, I flew over a couple of times a year. Yeah, just to see how it was going. Um, but yeah, that that was very interesting because obviously it's hard enough running a nightclub that's kind of within touching distance, yeah. running one thousands of miles yeah. away. In a, in a foreign land, yeah. uh, you know, just during tourist season in Barbados, lots of English, lots yeah. of Americans, Canadians, yeah. you know, uh, Trinidadians, etc. Yeah. A very mixed crowd, but out of season, very local crowd, yeah. very different demographic. Mm. So it was a real learning curve mm. um, to try and open up an exclusive club in a in a very small yeah. uh, island, where out of season you're dealing with locals. You can't you can't be turning away and being exclusive with locals. Yeah. You know, because then suddenly you get, you know, abandoned as a business by, yeah. by the local market. Yeah. So that was a real tough business, actually. Uh, and we, we were rammed full of celebrities, you know, Anthony Joshua, Sean Paul yeah. in the club at Christmas yeah. and all these sorts of things. And then out of season, different entirely. Yeah. Uh, the reason we came out of that was it was at the same time as me saying to my dad, I don't really want to be in nightclubs here either. Right, okay. Um, he was worried about my sister over there. It was quite dangerous for two two girls. Girls, yeah. End yeah. of the night, yeah. load of cash, yeah. going back to the apartment. Yeah. There are rumours of people following him around yeah. and me, I might get robbed. Yeah. All those horrible things that can happen. My dad started getting nervous. Yeah. So we ended up selling the club over there and selling uh, and closing the club here. Yeah. Um, and what year? 2013, 2014. 13, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were, had a good couple of years out in Barbados. Three years. Yeah. Three years. Um, Very difficult to make money out there. Difficult, difficult because it's so seasonal. Yeah. Um, what? What? But again, I have to say, you created a lovely brand out there. It was good, and it made mm. people on the island ears prick up. Go, what's it? Was these London? Yeah, 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 the, yeah. It was the English boys creating yeah. this. And yeah. when I walked into the club, it's a very small club. Very small. What was the cap? That was two forty. Was it two forty? Was it? Yeah, yeah, very small club. But it was done really well, and it was, you it imported was a lot of good. Uh, furniture, if I remember right. All the furniture came from Miami, was, okay. um, which is not that far from Barbados. Yeah. So we had, yeah, it, it was a lovely looking club, lovely looking club, and and you know, and and there were some great times there for people. And it, again, it was the first VIP table club in Barbados yeah. of its kind. Yeah. Um, it's, and a VIP table club is essentially quite kind of European in many ways. Yeah. Um, and that that was kind of the challenge. It's like asking people to go and pay three hundred dollars for a bottle of vodka, yeah, for yeah. a table. They're yeah. like, no, you're right. And and interestingly enough, that the the wealthy types that yeah. live there, they're not interested in kind of tables and, yeah. and bottles and and you know yeah. sparklers and all that yeah. kind of stuff. They they just have a bottle of Banks at the yeah. bar and yeah. they go home. Yeah, and spend ten quid in their flip flops. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, well, you know, that's interesting little insight yeah. into into the wealth out there. Yeah. And it's sometimes the wealth here as well, mm. not really into showing off. Mm. You know, they they got the money, and mm. they come and have a couple of beers and go home. And yeah. so. So we, we kind of presumed that they'll be get great big spenders that live in Barbados. Yeah. And, and You've got some serious wealthy people out there. We go to a uh, rum shack out there on yeah. a Friday. Yeah. All these wealthy people turn. Everyone's scrambling around because it's happy hour on a Friday. They so get banks of, yeah, banks yeah, of yeah, beer yeah, off yeah, price yeah, yeah. and they're all sitting on multi-million pound properties everywhere. Exactly. People want the deal. They do. They do. <laughs> and I think, you know, maybe it's a bit crass uh, to show off. 
yeah. and, and buy big bottles of champagne. You don't, just don't see the, the point. It's not cool, is it? Um, whereas, you know, the culture over in Europe and England is like, it's part of celebrating yeah. life, celebrating your birthday, celebrating anything. It's like, let's go and, let's go and get yeah. smashed and, yeah. and uh, spend some cash. Yeah. Over there, it's the other way. Mm, yeah. Great. So what was the movement for you back in England then? You Obviously, so, you had, what, a good three years with Priva, was it? Well, five years, five years okay. here. Um, we then, we then uh, closed the club. I remember it was New Year's Eve and I, I rung my dad and I said, this is our last night. Yeah. And he went, what do you mean? And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Um, tell me the reasons. Tell me what you went through. We've obviously both been in the nightclub yeah, world yeah, yeah. for a long time. What was the thought pattern for you? And how old were you when you started to feel this, yeah, like, you know I, what, I, I don't turned, really want to be in this anymore? I turned 30. Yeah. I turned 30. Um, you know. I was the same. It was 30. There you go. Yeah. Um, wife, couple of kids. Yeah. I was getting home at four or five yeah. in the morning. When you get home at four or five in the morning, Friday, Saturday, it rules out Sunday. Yep. You can't you can't be a good dad on a Sunday yep. when you had no sleep. Mm. Uh, in fact, you're not really back in the swing of things till Tuesday. Yeah. Then you're planning the next weekend. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't do anything else other than the club because yeah. it ran, ran my life. Yeah. It wasn't really earning me enough money for it to be the only thing I did. Yeah. But I felt like I didn't have the capacity in my brain to do anything else because yeah. it was all consuming. Yeah. It wasn't conducive to having a, a happy marriage or yeah. life because yeah. you're just, you know, you're out mixing in, you know, busy clubs. You know, booze and all yeah. the rest of it that goes with it. Yeah. Um, I first felt like I was a bit get, getting a bit old for it. I yeah. mean, I think one of the nights that I really felt old was when my baby sister came in with her mates. How old was uh, she? 18, okay. 19. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. like, you know, what am I doing here? Yeah. I mean, they were having a nice time. It's like one of their first ever nights out. Yeah. I'm, I should be at home. <laughs> what, mm. what am I doing standing in? Mm. Um, if it was only be a bloody fortune. Yeah, different. different. Yeah. But because it was just kind of like average money, yeah. I was like, I think I've got more to offer yeah. um, to the world of business, maybe, yeah. and and obviously can be a far better husband and dad yeah. um, by doing something else. And and I think that was my key to trying to work out how I can get out of the business because I felt quite trapped in it yeah. in many ways. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I was in the nightclub world 10 yeah. years. I was in parties, throwing parties all around the UK yeah. four nights a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, Thursday, yeah. then coming back to London and partying myself Friday, Saturday, exactly. Sunday. And you, got this, you get caught in this whole circle. All of a sudden, Horrible. you're spending seven nights in a nightclub for 10 years. Exactly. You yeah, know? it's no good. It's no, no. It's, no good. it's no good for your mental health. Yeah. Uh, sleep deprivation. You yeah. know, just always feeling like you're just kind of under the weather. Yeah. It's not a healthy lifestyle, is it's it? It's horrible. It's horrible. So yeah. you know, it's were you were you finding that you were drinking while working as well? I I towards the end, yeah. yes, yeah, and more so. Yeah. Um, I just felt like I had to get on a level with the punters yeah. because I'm standing there being shouted at by one of your piss mates yeah. you've not seen for five years. Yeah. It's all right for a minute, <laughs> but uh, it gets a bit tiring. Crab, so I was like, crab yeah. shuffling away from exactly, everyone. Exactly. Yeah. A couple of a yeah. couple of whiskeys and suddenly yeah. you can listen to the bullshit yeah. for half <laughs> So um, I, I, never, I never got involved with drugs, never tried drugs yeah. at all during the whole time in clubs, which yeah. I know is is a bit of a miracle for mm. club managers and owners. Mm. Um, but yeah, never, never got involved with that. I think had I have got involved with that side of things, with my kind of obsessive nature, yeah. I could have ended up in a world of trouble. Yeah. So, so I'm grateful for that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, you know, inevitably the whole environment just isn't conducive to someone yeah. that's a bit older. Yeah. And it's, it felt like a young person's game. How did you feel um, working in an environment where you know there was lots of cocaine and ecstasy around and yeah. booze? How was that for you? Because I didn't do it, I was kind of blind to some of what was going on. Okay. Uh, that's the honest truth. Yeah. Um, and my, my mates that came in knew I didn't do it, so kind of hid it from me. Yeah. It wasn't open. Yeah. I knew it was going on. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with not just nightclubs, but bloody pubs. Life. You know, life. I yeah. mean, you know, Peter. Doctors and uh, nurses and, that's right. and lawyers and everything. That's rife right. in the well, country. Well, I remember I was in a licensing hearing because yeah. um, a licensing officer had come in, done some swabbing in, in Priva and yeah. said that the, the drug, uh, the cocaine readings were really high. What, on the shelves in the toilets? Toilets, yeah. bars, bloody everywhere. 
Top of um, toilet seats. Yeah, exactly. Every, <laughs> everywhere you can imagine. Yeah. And um, and one of the one of the licensing hearing people, councillors, said to me, you know, "Do you think Priva has got a cocaine problem?" Mm. And I said, "Well, I think the world has got a cocaine yeah. problem actually, because if you went and swabbed restaurants, toilets, pub toilets, yeah. people's bloody kitchen yeah. <laughs> worktops yeah. in their house, yeah. you know, let's not let's not try and target small yeah. nightclub owners and say you've got a problem yeah. when it's a far wider issue. Yeah. They didn't take that too night too well. No. <laughs> but, no. yeah. but it was honest though. No, it was honest. It's honest. What was yeah. that documentary with Gordon Ramsay when they oh, when went, went undercover went and yeah. they went they swabbed all the top and they found cocaine in the yeah, yeah. in the staff's toilets and oh, yeah, I mean it's on every single bank now. Yeah. You mean it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I did feel a little bit victimised by the police's uh, kind of targeting of the club. But yeah. I think because I was terrible at admin um, yeah. and, and uh, that side of the business, they saw me as quite an easy target. Yeah. They wanted to close a few clubs in the peripheral areas yeah. of town. They were like, well, that's a, that's a cocaine champagne club. Yeah. Let's target him. Yeah. Oh, fuck, he's shit at admin. Yeah. Let's fucking get That's him. really targeted. And, and, and they yeah. done me. They okay. done me. And was, that was another lesson really in business that, you know, don't think you can do everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I tried to be marketing guy, brand guy, sales, yeah. operations, everything. Can't. I fell down on admin yeah. and they got me on admin yeah. and closed the club. That's why it closed. Yeah. That Did, one, anyway. Was there was there much trouble at that club you had to deal with? Because like being in yeah. that nightclub world, you've got a you want you're, you're the main face of the club. Yeah. People want to see you, people want to yeah. know they're on the guest list. You're, you're looking after people, you're getting yeah. people to pay, you're hiding from people because they you want them to pay on the door before they see you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. what, what what's the you then gotta wake up to ag that night what I've happened inside mm. your club or outside mm. the club to wake up the next day and go, oh, I've got to deal with the police and council and license again. Yeah. What was that like? Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Because um, what actually happens is that you spend the whole night at work anxious about something potentially happening. Because yeah. you know what the ramifications will be. Um, the one, the worst thing that happened at Priva was that uh, someone got stabbed yeah. um, outside the club mm. by the front door mm. at the end of the night. And I was outside and saw this, this guy from London had come down I think he pinched the bum of the other guy's girlfriend yeah. earlier in the night, something you know, something like that. Yeah. Not cool, but the doorman had gone over and made sure they're all right. And this other guy who'd waited to win the night had, somehow had a knife on him um, and stabbed him on the way out. And uh, I instantly knew we had a major issue, clearly. Firstly, I was thinking, let's make sure this guy's not going to be you know, in serious trouble. Yeah. And and the ambulance crew said, no, he's okay. It's a, it's yeah. you know it's an incision, but yeah. he's nothing nothing dangerous. Yeah. Uh, he was obviously screaming and crying with like blood all over his mm. hands. I was thinking, oh my god, this yeah. is like the worst thing could yeah. ever happen. Rung my dad as I usually do. Yeah. Times of crisis, yeah. three in the morning. Yeah. Uh, he obviously knew it was a shit phone call. Mm. Three a.m. Three a.m. Yeah. I went. Someone's been stabbed. He went. Oh fuck off. Yeah. I was like, yep, yep. I said, we're over. This club's done. Yeah. No one's ever going to come here again. Um, and then two days later, it was page seven of the, the Sun. Um, with a picture of the dude that they'd got from CCTV. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a hugely traumatic experience. Yeah. I'm thinking, firstly, thank God this guy's all right. Yeah. Secondly, what does that do for the brand? Not Never, it feels like it's not a safe place to come. Yeah. How the hell am I going to survive this? Yeah. We did survive it. Yeah. Um, but, but my God, that I didn't sleep for a few days yeah. you know, after that, thinking, I think it's all, all over. What year was that? That was about three years into it, so that would have been two, 2011. Okay. A couple of years before we got out of the business. But it's a horrible feeling, isn't yeah. it, when something, an incident happens like that? And like you said a, a minute ago, that feeling of making sure that person's super yeah. safe and alive, yeah. and then what are the knock-on effects of my business? Yeah. yeah. And then you're going to have to deal with negative press, and yeah. everyone in England, for some weird reasons, likes to big people up, and when they get to a certain yeah. level, they want to see them fail. Yeah. There's Did that. you find that in the nightclub world that you are in, it's a very competitive world mm. in London, very competitive yeah. world around the country, but it's also quite competitive down here in Bournemouth and Paul and stuff. Did you find that you were competing with other promoters for the business? Um, with Priva, not so much, because uh, Priva was kind of had its own little thing. Yeah. Small club, uh, table club, there was nothing really like it. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, 
guests do go elsewhere. Yeah. So you've got to make sure that you try and you know, retain people. Back back to 2020, we really were competitive. Um, so 2020 is 2020 the name of the was, nightclub. Was the name of the nightclub. Yeah. The, the big the big club we had. And was that 2020 happen after Priva? 2020 was before Priva. Before Priva. So okay. uh, 2020 and Landmark were at the same time. Yeah. 2005 to 2008. Yep. Credit Crunch. They yep. both went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But during the 2020 club, we had uh, a couple of local guys, big, you know, very experienced promoters, yep. ex Ibiza style promoters yep. that are working with us. And we were booking massive DJs. And and Richard Carr, who I know has been on your podcast, yeah. um, he had a club at the other end of town called Crank. Um, and it was a similar club to us. Yeah. Big thousand capacity club, yeah. big DJs. He had a couple of good promoters working for him. Yeah. And it turned into an absolute war. Yeah. Um, I mean, R Richard, I mean, we, we get on all right now. Um, but we laugh about it. But but um, he used to send a limousine yeah. to our club and get his promoters out of the limousine to people in our queue offering free champagne and free limousine rides to Crank. <laughs> And I stand there watching our punters yeah. get into his limousine and yeah. go to his club. And I'm just like, how can yeah. you compete with that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, and it was, he, he'd, he'd book Eric Prids, we'd book David Guetta. We'd wow. book Murillo, he'd book, it was like a DJ wow. war on wow. the same night. It was on Fridays. That's painful. It, you know what? We yeah. burned so much cash just trying to compete with him. Was it, did, did, were you burning cash at a point for, fuck you, we're mm. going to win this battle. Yeah, it got it got ultra competitive. Okay. It got ultra okay. competitive, um, and and actually quite nasty and toxic. Yeah. Not between me and Richard, but between the promoters yeah. that are working with us. But deep down, that would have a knock on effect for the owners as well. Richard oh. would be feeling one thing, you'll be feeling another, and you're yeah, going, yeah. "Here we go again. Who have you booked?" So give yeah. me an example of a booking, a big booking for you. Yeah. So well, how we, much would a big booking be? Well, in, we actually got Getter uh, for for six grand. Because he only, had, he only had one song out. Okay. So that was early doors. Yeah. We paid 20. What year, roughly? 2006. Okay. We got we, we, we got Murillo over. Yeah. Uh, he cost us about 25. Yeah. But 25,000 pound DJ in a thousand capacity nightclub yeah. is, is big. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely stupid. Crazy. Stupid. Why Why would you spend 25 Gs plus that, <laughs> yeah. plus a rider, plus all the other yeah. stuff that goes with it? What, give me what was going through your mind. I, I asked myself that question quite a lot. But yeah. it, that was during the time when we were establishing the club brand. And yeah. It was right at the beginning when we launched the club. Yeah. So it was almost like a, we've arrived. Yes. This is what we are. We're booking one of the world's biggest DJs. Yeah. Um, even though we're going to lose money, it's more of a brand profiling yeah. thing. Um, I've since come to realise that you know brand profiling usually means losing money. Yeah. Um, but in those days, it was kind of you know we thought we were great. Yeah. We thought we were going to be successful. Yeah. So spending twenty five grand, losing ten grand on a night, that's yeah. part of our marketing plan. Wow. Um, you know, a bit. We then had Richard Carr turn up yeah. who, who basically ruined our plans because it became a competition between us two yeah. and you know um, inevitably we both lost actually because he lost his clubs with his property business yeah. um, we lost our clubs with the credit crunch yeah. um, so both clubs closed around the same so time no, so no one won <laughs> no, no both lost wow so you know again it was more do you, know, do you know what would be interesting yeah. right if we've got you and Richard or you and your old man yeah. and Richard on the same podcast. I wouldn't recommend my dad and Richard on the same podcast <laughs> because they, they go back a long way. But yeah. I've, I've come to respect Richard for his business acumen yeah. um, and, and his ruthlessness and, yeah. and, and his mentality. Mm. Um, yeah, there were times where I, I haven't liked him yeah. um, because I've thought, you know, um, he posed a threat to our business yeah. and he was very, you know, dogmatic about his approach. Yeah. And didn't give a shit yeah. about the way, he, the way he did things. Yeah. Not the way that I do business now. Yeah. I got dragged into it a little bit. Um, How old are you now, Josh? 40. Okay. 40, yeah. So I've you know, definitely matured um, and changed as a, as a person yeah. since the nightclub days. But I mean, it was a great grounding for becoming good at marketing, good yeah, at promoting. Absolutely. When you got this, Richard, to be fair to him, amazing business person yeah. in the nightclub business. Built a massive brand with Slinky. Yeah. 
knows how to make money, yeah. knows how to how to you know produce. It's a proper old school entrepreneur. Old school. Yeah. When I was yeah. in my mid twenties, yeah. competing against the guy, yeah. I was I was going to hide into nothing, mate. Yeah. I mean, he was so much better than so I. So he's got. I think he's got 22, 23 years on you. Yeah, experience. There you go. And he was. What do you think he was looking at you? Thinking he's probably thinking that flash little fucker is going to get yeah. it. <laughs> I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, um, I'm going to compete with him. Yeah, and and he was you know he had loads of money uh, with his various companies. I know it came crashing down for him like it did for a lot of people. Yeah. But uh, at that time he was cash rich and he just thought I'll go toe to toe with this kid. Yeah. Um, we had one of his old promoters working for us, and I think who was that? Ilka. Yeah. Um, who's you know, fabulously experienced club promoter knows his stuff. Um, I think Richard enjoyed the competition. Yeah, I did to a certain degree, yeah. but I was well out of my depth. Yeah, well out of my depth. And and uh, my dad was kind of backing me and me and Ilka's ideas and yeah. stuff like this. And I think looking back on it, we should have just pulled away from that whole yeah. competition. Yeah, um, and saved ourselves a lot of stress and money. Were you fronting it the whole time, and your dad was pulling the strings in the background, or yeah, did your I'm, dad front it at all to go, Richard? What are you playing at, mate? We're, we're both competing here for the same market, but we're both chucking big money at, at big I, DJs here. I, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, my, my dad was pulling the strings. Yeah. I was marketing guy. Yeah. Um, I don't think my dad or Richard's ego would allow them to have a phone conversation about that. Really? Yeah. I think they were just like, I'm better than you. You're okay. better than me. Let's go. Let's go at it and yeah. see who's you know, last man standing. Yeah. To actually have a sensible conversation and go, yeah. listen, should we just like, you open you on do Monday Fridays, night, I'll do Tuesdays yeah, 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 or yeah. whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Or, you know, let's not go toe to toe. Yeah. Um, that was never even a consideration. Mm. It was like, let's fucking beat them. Yeah. And, and, and we both lost. Yeah. So, you know, no winners there. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. It's and do you reckon that's the lesson there is uh, poor communication? And do you mm. think both, because obviously Richard's ego, got a big ego as well. Yeah. Do you think ego got in the way for all of you? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, you know, there's that great book by Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. Mm. And I think unless you've got a hold of, everyone's got an ego to a certain mm. degree. Mm. Uh, I think people, people in business have probably got slightly bigger egos than others yeah. because they want to be, you know, they aspire to be someone that Top people recognise yeah. and whatever else. So yeah. you've got that about you a little bit. Um, but it can get in the way of good business. Yeah. You start making terrible decisions. Um, just trying to be, you know, trying to be the best, but not trying to be the best in a business sense, trying to be the best in almost in like recognition sense. Yeah. And that can cost you a load of money and, and actually can cost you your family home, as yeah. we found out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's humbling, humbling. Mm. And, and I think Richard, you know, I've, Bumped into him plenty of times recently. He's a different person these he days is. than he, what he was. He come yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying to me, don't get him on the podcast because yeah. he's this, he's that, he's this. I went, he's always been kind and very polite yeah. to me. Yeah. So I've got no reason not to get him on. And we had a brilliant episode. Mm. Um, listen, there's, there's three sides to every story, as yeah, they sure. say. Um, but I, I he, like him. I like him. And yeah. um, he's a very successful businessman. I think he's changed over the years. Yeah. Like we all are. We all become kinder and nicer and, yeah. and uh, just get on with things. Mm. But I think the biggest thing there is communication, right? Well, communication with other businesses, yeah. but also communication internally. Yeah. I mean, we, we should have sat down and had a conversation about with that particular club 2020. What decisions can we make? Um, here that are five or ten years yeah. thinking that far in advance mm. not about very that, hard though five ten years is hard it, to it's, think it's, it's, yeah. especially in nightclubs yeah of course yeah um, yeah really yeah. yeah but um but if you're making long-term business decisions brand decisions you make sensible ones yes. and you try and build it slowly yeah we were just like 
all in. Chuck it all in from day one. <laughs> had nowhere to go. Yeah. So once you booked a 25,000 quid DJ on your opening weekend. You can't go we, we, we can't get bigger than, week. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. we should have looked at the brand and concept and gone, let's build a great club. Not yeah. based upon who's on the lineup, but yeah. based upon the customer experience in the club. Yeah. Great lighting, great DJs, yeah. that are resident DJs. Yeah. You know, good service, waitresses, yeah. waiters. Yeah. Um, not, you know, look at the lineup, look how yeah. much money we got, because you, you can only go down from it's there. It's all about experience for the customer. Absolutely. That's it. That's yeah. it. So and attention to detail. Things. And I think yeah. you've got really good attention to detail. And I've Thanks, noticed yeah. over the years you're very good at creating brands. I enjoy the the, the creative process of yeah. developing a concept in a brand. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had maybe say say we created a dozen, twelve yeah. brands and businesses. Ten of them haven't worked yeah. long term. Yeah. So you know, one one or two of them now working. Yeah. So I've you know got a ten percent success rate. Yeah. But you only need to have one winner yeah. in life. Of course. You keep you know. going until that pops. And uh so I, what what I would say is that I've enjoyed the creative process of built of, of brands and business building. Um, I've never had the the staying power to go through maybe some of the struggles we've had. Yeah. Some of those previous businesses that failed may have ended up working had I stuck at it. Yeah. But I jumped from pillar to post a little yeah. bit, and that was a naivety, immaturity as a business person maybe. Um, but you know, I think um, the creative process is great. But now you get to a point in your life where you think I can't keep Jumping doing this. In. Yeah. I, if, I, if I find something that's working, that's building a great customer base that that uh, has potential to last the test of time, I've got to put all my eggs in that yeah. basket at some, yeah. to, some point yeah. and go, that's all experience. Yeah. All those failures, I've learned some stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, fell out of a few people, made some friends, as you do in yeah. business journeys. Now is a time that I need to actually buckle down yeah. and make a success of this. And home in. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of where I am now. What was your, what was your movement after that, Josh? What was your movement after well, the nightclub world? Um, I was very fortunate. What year, were we, what year are we now? So we're talking 2013. 13, okay. Um, I was fortunate to meet my current business partner, yeah. Steve Crawford. Um, he was a customer of ours at the clubs. He used yeah. to come with his mates and have a good time, etc. And we got talking. And he, he was a banker at JP Morgan. Obviously and very bored there. Very bored, very bored. <laughs> Hence being out of the weekends, getting smashed. But um, so he said to me, you know, I've got an idea for a voucher website, like Groupon, but local one, using yeah. your databases and stuff. And right. I was kind of like, mate, I've not got time for yeah. this. You know, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And then ended up, he was so persistent, we did it. And we yeah. made a success of that. Mm. Um, but then got offered the opportunity to, to take a shop. And I wanted to open a chicken shop, uh, a, a high-end premium chicken shop. Um, we got offered a chance for a so, mate. So, so, so hold mm. on a minute. So Steve knocked on the, knocked on the door. Mm. Let's go business partners, yeah. test the water with us. Yeah, yeah. Who come up with the idea of creating a chicken restaurant? I'm going to have to, I have to admit that was my idea. Yeah. For once, it was my idea. Yeah. I've seen some really cool brands uh, in London and abroad yeah. uh, that were doing kind of chicken shops, not but not fried chicken, cheap chicken, yeah. but doing kind of roast barbecue chicken um, and doing it really well mm. and had a, good, a few good experiences in London. And I was like, wow, you know, this could be great in Bournemouth. Almost like an American version of Nando's, yeah. but smaller yeah. and more takeaway. Yeah. You know, like ch proper chicken shop style, yeah. but not cheap fried buckets of chicken. Yeah. But takeaway, but also seated as well. A little bit of seated. But not, you know, not like 100 covers or anything, no. like a smaller small, version. Small okay. version. Yeah. Um, and then we got, I was, I was testing the water with this idea with Steve, because we were in business with the voucher website yeah. at the time, and a few other mates that, that I'd been talking to, one of which had a shop in Boscombe that was empty. Yeah. So I said, well, let's just try it in there. Yeah. Um, so we did, and it was called Chicken Shack uh, mm. back in the uh, day one. Um, so we opened it, and um, and it was packed from day one. Mm. Um, you know, absolutely rammed, and we were we were charging too little for the chicken. I remember cheap. eight quid yeah. for a whole chicken. My, my dad rang me up. I was like, this is a right result. I was, I was yeah. phoning up for a whole chicken every day. I, know. I think you clocked on and went changed oh, straight to twelve. It was it was kind, <laughs> it was kind of part of the strategy to to keep a good value initially. Yeah. But my dad rang me up. He was like. 
I think you get cheaper chicken in Tesco, yeah. mate. What are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, Dad, we're building a crowd, building a yeah. crowd. Yeah. You know, we can sneak the prices up. Yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's make sure that they love us yeah. first. You know, let's get them in. So um, they were queuing, queuing down the road. It's really, really busy. Um, and and then we thought, okay, we got something here. Yeah. Um, Steve was involved because I was involved with the voucher site. And yeah. He got involved with the with the. Restaurant. And were you were you fifty fifty with Steve? On no, the we had. Um, there was, I think there was five of us involved. Five. Well, I had no money. I'd right, no, okay. I, I had not two pennies to rub together. Okay, and that's because of everything that's gone everything, in the past. I, I started again. Yeah. Um, Preva had closed. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was living hand to mouth out the clubs. Okay. Never, never any, any money behind me. Yeah. Um, and and so this idea of the chicken uh, chicken shop came up, and I was like, well, it's going to cost us about twenty five grand to open. I haven't got twenty five. What grand. on kit? Kit branding, sort of lease yeah, out, okay, yeah. signage, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I what said, was the how much was the rent there roughly? That was, I think, it was about eight, eight, nine grand a year. Very so cheap, tiny shop, okay. tiny shop, okay. tiny shop, okay. tiny, yeah. tiny yeah. shop in Boscombe. Yeah. You know, so um, I've, I've said to the guys, "Look, I've not got any money, yeah. basically, but it's my idea, yeah. and I'll make it. I'll try and make it work. Yeah. But you boys have to stick some money in. Yeah. I think I put two grand in, which mm. was like my last two grand. Yeah. And, um, and but, then, it's, but it's a com- showing commitment. It's showing a bit yeah, commitment. Okay. Um, and then they put fours and fives in and yeah. whatever it was. And who are the four? Le- who are the other four lads? You, Steve? Me, Steve. Um, it was one of my old promoters from the clubs. Um, it was uh, a guy, one of Steve's mates, who actually put in more money. He lived in, in Qatar. One of his mates name? from college. Matt, his name is. Okay. And there was someone else, I think. The other two? Oh, and, and the guy that owned the shop. Okay. So, right. So, there's a load of us. Okay. Um, they all chucked a bit of money. Yeah. And obviously, inevitably... Starts getting busy. Everyone's going. Well, let's earn some money. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, well, six of us or five of us. Yeah. I'm like, this is not going to happen for yeah. a year at least. Yeah. Like, margins are terrible. We're mm. selling chicken for eight quid. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a popular business, but yeah. let's try and see whether we can actually take a wage, let alone yeah. start giving dividends out and yeah. stuff, getting your money back. Yeah. So anyway, a few of the partners lost interest. I then started seeing, a, a, I suppose, a bit of an opportunity because I thought, well, it, now we've got a business that's obviously quite busy, mm. uh, although it's not making any money yet. Mm. Um, I can borrow some money off a family member yeah. and buy food for the partners yeah. out. That's what I did. Is that what you did, was yeah, it? Yeah, borrow some money off my uh, father-in-law. Okay. Um, took, marched my wife down to the bank, got, yeah. got her a 15 grand let's, loan. Let's give a shout out to father-in-law, what's his name? Cameron. Oh, yeah, he might, yeah Cameron good. Hope. Yeah, yeah he, he gave me five grand. Well done. Um, and uh, didn't charge me any interest, good, which though. was a shock, mm. uh, <laughs> knowing him. But uh, no, so he, he, did, he did a great thing for me. Um, I marched my wife down to Nat West and she got a 15 grand personal loan. Which well, Carly bought, did. Yeah, bought mm. the other partner out. She had no money either. She yeah. was looking after the kids, didn't wasn't working. Fair so so uh, managed to buy a few of the partners out. Shoot forward a few years, we bought the other partners out. Then mm. it's just me and Steve. Mm. Um, and uh, we've given a 5% share to our head of food, yeah. which Glenn, who's a brilliant head of food for yeah. us. What does head of food mean? Head of food means uh, chef recruitment, training, quality, oh, quality, quality okay. and standards. Brilliant. You know, in the As shops, making sure, yes, yeah, vital, yeah. vital for us. So, uh, yes, yeah, so there's three of us, you know, um, and uh, really, what that taught me was was how important getting the right partners are. Yeah. Um, we had another partner that ended up trying to do an internal franchise, which didn't work. So we sold in the shop. We changed the brand. Oh, lots of shit happened yeah. over the last five, six, seven years. Yeah, um, we landed ourselves now in, into a position where. We're all on the same page mm. think, with partnerships. So how many years have you been in, in the whole chicken world? Nine nine years next month. Nine years. Nine years next month. And what, what problems have uh, have arisen in that period? Obviously, you said uh, you it was called chi- Chicken Shack back yeah, then. Yeah, so that was the first issue we had, was was we went to, to uh, register Chicken Shack as a trademark, um, a, a very expensive trademark lawyer in London we got yeah. recommended to. 
and I was sat at the table with Steve and we were talking to him uh, overlooking the city, yeah. amazing office. Yeah. Probably cost us two grand we didn't have to yeah. sit there. And I said, look, I want to trademark Chicken Shack. And he pulled it up on his screen and he started laughing at yeah. me. He said, there's about 700 Chicken Shacks. Yeah. Like, but what the hell are you thinking? And I said, well, what do you mean? So we have to change the name if we need to trademark mm. it. And I had like grander plans for the brand. I thought trademarking was quite important. Yeah. He said, yeah, you have to change the name. And I, we had two shops at the time. I was like, oh my God, oh, that's going to cost painful. me five grand in yeah. signage, uh, like fucking uniforms. Yeah. I was just immediately thinking. Also, you're building a brand. You've got to well, change the brand. How am I, right? I going to yeah. explain it to the customers yeah. while we've changed the name? They're going to jump to conclusions. Did anyone come on top of you of that? Did that come about like you're using mm. Chicken Shack in Bournemouth? No. Did anyone go, no. hold on, I'm Chicken Shack in Canada or London? That, 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 that hadn't happened. That no, hadn't okay. happened. Um, so it was kind of our instigation to try and okay. trademark the name that re made us realise we couldn't use it yeah. long term. Yeah. Um, so we, we sat in the office and he went, well, what, what's the business about? And I said, well, we serve chicken and we play blues music in the shop, so it's American style. And we was like, chicken and blues, chicken yeah. and blues. I was like, that works. Fuck it. Let's yeah. just do it. I yeah. said, search for that. Yeah, he was like, buy no, now. He was like, no one's ever called a business that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, great, yeah. well, we can then. So yeah. we got the global trademark on that yeah. sorted. Um, and then we came back and had to deliver the news to our team that we changed the name, yeah. deliver the news to our customers yeah. that we're changing the name um, and hope they don't you know, draw the wrong conclusions from yeah. that. Um, and then, yeah, chicken and blues was born. Yeah. And, um, and that What was, year was that? That was a... Must have been 2015. 15, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So um, we then had the the, the uh, challenge, after the challenge of the name, to try and sort the structure and partnerships out. Yes. And make sure the people that are in the business are on the same page. Yeah. Um, we want the same things. Yeah. We realised that we didn't. So then it was a, a, an, a, an awkward and quite challenging situation to work ourselves out of. Yeah. But and we had a few fallouts during that time. Is that the fallouts with the original partners? Original, yeah, original, okay. one of them yeah. um, didn't end too well. The others did end fine. They were mates of mine anyway. Yeah. And I said, look, I'll give you that. Let's agree a price. Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Good luck with it. And one person dug the hills one in. One person dug the hills in a bit. Um, you know, we had how, do you, how do you get around that when someone dig their hills in? And you can only offer a certain amount of money, what you yeah. think it's worth, and a yeah. certain amount of money, what that person thinks. So how do you get around that? I, I think um, it's very difficult. Mm. Um, I think you end up having to have a conversation where you're very honest mm. about the future mm. and whether it's healthy yeah. for you both to work with each other every day yeah. and there, there are more important things than business yeah. um, and we had that conversation and, and decided that that was the route to go um, agreed a price and, uh, and, and in the end it was actually quite I wouldn't say amicable but it was sensible Speak to him today? Um, no <laughs> <laughs> I've got Fair time I've got time mate Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no it, you know Wish them the best of luck, of course. Yeah. Wish everyone luck. Um, but but it was obvious some people don't fit together in business yeah. and yeah. all life. And you recognise that early doors to go, I, I can see this being a brand for many years. Yeah. I've got to get the right structure in place now That's to it. make sure that I'm protecting my family and yeah. my livelihood and, and, and creating the, a brand that That's it. we're on the same page with. Okay. That's it. And also, also we, we spoke to um, Sarah Willingham, the dragon. Ex-Dragons yep. ex Den. Yep. We met her at an event and uh, she really liked what we were doing. And we ended up having chats with her on email and phone and stuff. And she said, look, send me the structure of your company yep. um, so I can have a look at it. And she went, that's an absolute mess. Yeah. I can't look at it until yeah. you sort that out. Yeah. So that was part of the, the battle. Yeah. Trying to get ourselves in a position where people like her would talk to us because yeah. we're clean yeah. as opposed to being messy. All over the place. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. And and then how many uh, restaurants you have? You had the Boscombe one and then when did you go to? Boscombe, we opened Winton. Yep. Then we opened Pool. Um, Paul where? Ashley Cross Ashley Cross, Ashley yeah. Cross um, which started horrifically yeah. um, we were we were really really quiet myself and Steve um, were flowering in the rain going around to people's houses knocking on yeah. doors knocking door businesses saying look we're next door or we're yeah. down the road have a free lunch come and check the yeah. food out I think after three months we I, I 
uh, my kind of catastrophic thinking yeah. thought we've made a right to fuck up here. Yeah. Um, and was, was talking to you about, about trying to get out of the unit. Yeah. He, he, you know, which I've grown to love about Steve. He doesn't get overexcited or over upset about anything. Yeah. He's like yeah. a flat liner. Flat need that. Yeah. Yeah, need yeah, that with me as a partner. Yeah. Um, he's great for me in that sense. Uh, he said, don't be silly, mate. Like, it takes years to grow a business. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm used to opening nightclubs that are packed instant. from night one. Yeah, instant. Yeah, I was yeah. like, if they're, not, if they're not queuing down the road on yeah. the first week, we've, we've made a mistake. Yeah. He was like, no, just be patient, mate. Yeah. And now over the course of, of the years, yeah. it's gone, well, it's taken six, seven times the money it did the first year. Yeah. Um, we just built it one customer at a time, give yeah. good experiences, you know, uh, make sure we got trained team um, and, and be patient. And, uh, what made you choose Ashley Cross? Because that's quite mm. a, it was quite a ballsy gamble for yeah. the area and the location and the demographic yeah. and stuff. And we, just... were, we were involved with that venue before. Okay. Um, it was called Burger Shop. Yeah. Um, my dad and Mark and Harry Redknapp yeah. had got involved uh, in business together and opened up. Oh, so it was a burger shop before burger and then you converted from... it into chicken. Okay. That's right. So they decided they didn't want to be in the restaurant business yeah. anymore. Yeah. Had other, other plans. Um, and so because I was helping him with the marketing a little bit at the yeah. time, because it's my dad's business, he yeah. was on the phone to me saying, oh, give us a hand with this, give us a hand with that. Yeah. I helped him a little bit. Um, they said, well, do you want to buy it off us and turn it to Chicken and Blues? And we thought about it and thought, well, we'd like a shop down in yeah. Um Let's do it. And like I say, first three months were a disaster, yeah. but gradually we built it into something special. Yeah. When you when you look at a shop like that, mm. what, what goes through your head in terms of finances? You're like, right, what's the first thing? What's the rent? Yeah. What's the rates? How many people, how many we've got to do turnover each, each week yeah. or each month to break even and everything else is a profit after that? What, what sort of numbers are we talking? Initially, you kind of have your baseline break even, what you think we need to be taking at least that to wash our face with a small team. Yeah. So um, if we worked on weeklies, yeah. say we're weekly, would you say, right, I need to do six grand a week to yeah. break even? Yeah. Is that what kind of goes through your head in turnover? Initially, or? initially, yeah. yeah, you're thinking, you know, how much, how much revenue has to be generated from that unit to actually cover overhead yeah. and staff? And stock yeah. working on our on our stock percentage. Um, if you think if you think that's very reasonable, yeah. um, you think we're we're very confident we can hit that number. Yeah. Then you start looking at upside. Yeah. Okay. So if we take ten, take yeah. 15, 30, What 40, does it look like? Yeah. Then you think, well, okay, we, if we then from from that you can then decide um, how much money you spend on the shop yes. because obviously it's essentially it's a return on capital investment. Yeah. So yeah. you spend a hundred grand on a shop. Yeah. How long is it going to take you to get your money get back? Your dough back yeah. And then how much is it going to earn you? Yeah. And for how long? Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of calculation you yeah. make. And I think Chicken and Blues is is um, is a, is, a, is a good model because we can have quite small shops because yeah. we have takeaway delivery. Yeah. We spend most of our money on equipment. We have yeah. very expensive equipment. So give me an example of what equipment you have. Uh, well, I mean, we spend anything up to sort of 60, 70 grand on kitchen, um, which is a lot for a yeah. small shop. Yeah. Um, you know, 10 grand for an oven, yeah, 10 okay. grand for a hot cabinet. Yeah. Um, seven grand for a grill you yeah. know that sort of stuff adds up, you can you can go and buy second hand but yeah. we've realized that's you know buy cheap buy twice yeah so we now buy the, the best equipment you can get because yeah. we can afford to yeah um and and it pays off because mm. it doesn't break down as much it's more efficient you know the team love working on it yeah chicken and blues we like to think that if we open up a store uh we can get quite a quick return on capital yeah um flamingo or other concepts on yeah. the other hand was was a huge capital investment it will take a long longer time to pay back um, but the model's good because there's no takeaway delivery. It's all eat in. Yeah. So there's no commissions to like Deliveroo and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's all about the experience in store. What was, when, when was it for you? 2013, you come mm. up with the idea of the chicken, uh, chicken brand, chicken, uh, yeah. chicken shack, move that to move it over to chicken yeah. and blues. What was the year? What was a turning point? Because businesses take mm. serious time to break even. Businesses take, yeah, people are out there. Listen, don't think you can yeah. just do a business and it'd be like a unicorn instantly. It doesn't happen like that. No. How many years did it take for you to really break the back and go, you know what? We've nailed the business model. Mm. It feels comfortable. We know our sums. It's now in profit and we're mm. happy and we're going in the right direction. Um, I don't think we're there yet. No, okay. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. 
you know, we're nine years old next month. I, I, you know, the brands we aspire to be yeah. have been around 40, 50 years. Yeah. I, I feel like we're embryonic, we're yeah. babies. Yeah. Um, we certainly haven't got broken the back of exactly what the format should be, mm. exactly what the model is. Um, you know, the pandemic proved that, you know, business modeling and changes. channel sales can all change yeah. and changes the whole business. I think, you know, we, we started doing... Uh, well before the pandemic, yeah. we brought in a great a great consultant, an old friend of mine, Ash Brown, who was involved with the Hache Burger chain in London. Yeah. He moved back to Paul for a bit, did some great work with us, kind of let us know what we could achieve, yeah. what what a good week should look like, yeah. um, you know, that sort of stuff. So he got us really, got us really focused on mm. that. Um, and then the pandemic hit and, you know, I was sat in my lounge, I'll never forget the moment because um, Steve called me straight away. He was watching Boris and it was on one of March his March 23rd, 2000. There you go. One of his 5 p.m., you know, kind of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, chats on, on screen. Yeah. And um, he said, right, this Friday, um, all restaurants and pubs are to close. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. we're done. <laughs> and then he said, but if you do takeaway and hot, hot food delivery, yeah. we'd like you to stay open. And I was like, oh my God, so we can survive. Yeah. This is incredible. Flamingo hadn't opened yet, our other venue. It's yeah. still been built. Yeah. We only had chicken and blues. Mm. So I rung Steve. I was like, mate, I think we're going to survive. And mm. he was like, oh my God, mate. He said, I, I, my heart dropped yeah. when he said restaurants are closing. Yeah. We know we can do takeaway and delivery. That's, that we, that's part, a big part of our business. Um, so then, then our attentions turned to our team. You know, everyone was shit scared about COVID. How many you know? full-time staff did you have at that point on the books? Roughly. 60. Six zero. Six zero. Full timers. Well, no, that's 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 not quite accurate. Yeah, I wrote about half full time, half part time. Half part. Okay, yeah, so thirty full timers. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Across so how many sites? That's just across two. Two sites. Oh, okay. Sorry, three initially. Boscombe, yeah. Winton, Pool. Yeah. So um, we then had like these kind of um, these meetings every morning on Zoom, me, Ash, and Steve, um, to discuss how we're going to get through that day. Yeah. And it was like tactics. day to day. Yeah. It was like. That chef's going to go there. Yeah. That chef's not well. That 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 girl in that shop too scared to come in because yeah. she's scared of COVID. Yeah. with her nan. She's yeah. not coming in. No, you have two weeks off. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. You know. So we're doing that every yeah. morning to try and get through the day. And, and it, really, well, I think we we found a purpose that we were a bit of a service to the neighbourhood because mm. so everyone was scared and mm. didn't want to go out. So they could order us on delivery yeah. and get a nice meal, yeah. a nice hot meal. So we, we almost felt like we became a, a community business. Yeah. Um, we we gave away tens of thousands of pounds worth of food to frontline workers, yeah. ambulance workers. I hospital that sort of stuff and we did a buy one give one campaign where if you bought come and bought a meal we give you one to give to someone who lives in your block of flats that's that's struggling yeah that sort of stuff so which we did a lot of good i think in that time uh, for the neighborhood you really had to take your marketing to a whole new level didn't you to really work for it well i thought you know what yeah Yeah, i thought if we're going to be open and busy because we were busy um, it f- feels pretty crass yeah. to, to be just being busy yeah. and not doing anything. Yeah. So I said to Steve and Ash, we need to really do some neighbourhood stuff here yeah. because we're open. Good for you, man. And we pushed the button on it and um, probably won a lot of new fans. But, mm. but from our point of view, um, we thought we, we were a service to neighbourhood, something that we should do. Mm. It'd be wrong not to do it. And, and um, I'm pleased we did do it. And, and, and tell me about the whole business model with Deliveroo. Obviously, yep. Deliveroo and yourself become partners. Is that yep. right? Yeah. Did that really sort of kick off when the pandemic hit? No, we we we'd been we were actually I think the first restaurant Deliveroo signed in Bournemouth when they yep. came here. Um, I'd I'd been following them in London um, online, you know, mm. looking at them, thinking that's a good looking brand. Um, and they came to Bournemouth. I met a guy called Mikey, and he was like convinced convinced us to give it a go. Yeah. It went well. It's a, f- a phenomenal business. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not making any money, but yeah. it's a phenomenal concept yeah. and, and service and everything else on the whole. Yeah. Um, and we doubled down on delivery. We thought actually we we could do really well. I remember like Boscombe had eight seats in it. And, and I remember saying to Steve, with Deliveroo, we're a 20,000 cover restaurant. Yeah. We're not eight cover restaurant. Yeah. 
anyone that lives within two miles can order. All the chimney so, pots around there. So yeah. suddenly we're yeah. a massive restaurant yeah. from a tiny shop. Mm. Um, so if we can get the model right, um, then this could be a really good channel for us. Mm. So we doubled down with them, and because we supported them so much, we went exclusive with them as well. Uh, not, we're not on Uber Eats, not on Just Eat, yeah. delivery, nothing like that. Yeah. They've given us um, a really fantastic partner deal, which makes it work for us. What's the deal look like? I can't give you the exact figures, but but they've they've given us a deal which is comparable to what they give a, a national chain. So give me just give me an example. Someone mm. drops, say, if I went in ordered a load of food, I yeah. drop hundred quid. Yeah. How much of that hundred quid have I got to give to deliver? I, I, I'm not going to tell you the exact figures because um, people work out the percentages, and that's we're kind of on NDA with them on the percentage because it's easy for us to go out and tell everyone. Uh, but fifteen percent. Um, <laughs> Shocking numbers at me. Fifteen percent. Uh, no, 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 away. no. That that's 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 better than nationals. Um, Is that better than nationals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I won't. I'm not going to tell you the figures. Twenty percent. I'm not going to tell you the figures. I'm not going to tell you the figures. To, roughly. I'm, you've got to give me. You're, you've got to you're, give me a rough. You're, you're, you're in a ballpark. Twenty-five percent. You've got to give away. You're you're in a ballpark. You're in a ballpark. But twenty um, percent. You're in a ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I don't like the line of questioning. <laughs> but uh, no. So so. Um, yeah, we get a good rate. Yeah. We get a good rate because I know that, that, that new restaurants that go... I understand you can't say the rate because other people will know that you've got a good rate and the word will get out there. But yeah. I, if I'm if I'm working on 20% in mm. my mind that you someone's yeah. got to give away, that's like another government tax. Well, yes and no, because <laughs> because what they what they do include in that commission percentage yeah. is, is the rider is the riders, right? So we'd have to employ our own riders. Mm. And actually What if you did it yourself? If we did it ourselves. So well, you'd be paying we, them ten and we, did, we, we yeah, did okay. we did do it ourselves to be uh, initially before yeah. delivery. We did it for a while. And what if you're if you're gonna say to a, a driver, delivery yeah. driver, come and work for chicken and blues, yeah. you have to guarantee him a certain amount of hours. Yeah. So a lot of the time they're sitting in the shop waiting for a delivery oh, order. So and the pressure we, was then on you. Then, then it was also we're paying them just to do nothing. That's what I mean. You're paying them to do nothing. Yeah. There you go. So with yeah. delivery, you pay per order. Yeah. You don't not you're not paying a, a salary to their riders. Yeah. Uh, they do that. Um, or they pay per order to, the, to their riders. So you can flex it up and down. Also, we always found with our own delivery team, if we had a busy hour, yeah. we could never have enough riders. Riders to get okay. so, so with them, with Chicken and Blues, I mean, Chicken and Blues can do um, one order every 20 seconds at peak time yeah. um, in, in one of the shops. But we've, we've we sometimes have rider issues with regards to the amount of riders available, but you can have 15, 20 riders outside of Chicken and Blues. What, on the go? On the go. Wow. Because now that's the order volume we do. So you're actually looking at it again, okay, if I kept, you, you yeah. tried the business model yourself, you thought yeah. it's a ball late because people are sitting around yeah. and you're paying them. Yeah. Hold on a minute, let's just do a deal with these guys. They're guaranteed to get out hot food, which yeah. is only going to increase your brand uh, love from people. That's true. Yeah. And I'll tell you what else, uh, because the technology is so great, um, the guests, which, you know, our people and our guests are our two most important things. Yeah. The people uh, that work for us and with us um, have the great technology of delivery. They know where the riders are. They, yeah. can, they can accept orders, etc. And And the guests that order on delivery can see where the rider is. And actually with our own delivery team, they had no idea where the driver right, was. And that okay. anxiety of not knowing where yeah. the rider is, yeah. that's, that's almost worse than it being late. Yeah. So at least with delivery rider, you can see the rider come into your yeah. house. Hopefully it doesn't go off course. Sometimes yeah. they do. Amazing concept, right? Incredible. So that, that's, why, are um, they, why are they not earning money? Why are they not profitable? Well, I, I, I think that they're, they're, they're growing. And I think okay. when businesses are growing at such an exponential rate, or at least trying to, mm. they have huge teams, huge marketing budgets. It's all about revenue growth and user acquisition. Yeah, okay. Um, it's not about profit yet. Okay. But I think they have to have a roadmap to profit eventually. I think these, the, the big companies like that, someone coming in buying for fortunes anyway, even if they're not making profit. Well, I mean, they've got millions and millions of users <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and amazing data. Um, How does so. their business model work? How much do they pay a rider then? I, I don't I don't actually know the exact... Roughly, I are they paying I think, it changes. I think, I think they pay between five and ten quid a drop. 
Okay, so um, it's per drop. I think it's per drop. So the yeah. rider themselves have got to take a bit of a risk and say, I've got to sit, I've got to sit on my bike here. Yeah. yeah, no problem. I'll do a load of rides. I've actually done 10 rides and I've got 100 quid. Well, they can earn roughly. good money. I mean, I know there, there are guys and girls working for Deliveroo that are earning, you know, 800 quid to a grand a week as, yeah, okay. as delivery riders because and they, they can work use, a lot. they can cycle, they can use a scooter, they can use a car. Cy- exactly. Yeah, exactly. I don't think scooters. I think it's just cycling cars. Is Maybe it? I haven't seen anyone on scooters. Okay. But um, but yeah, the guys that, that and girls that work long hours earn very good money for mm. Deliveroo, and um, I think they're a good company to work for mm. as well. Um, that, yeah, we, we we admire them. Yeah. I think they're fantastic. Mm. What I've seen. So then you come out. You've come out of the uh, the pandemic. Yeah. Got into the pandemic. Yeah. The business models changed. You had the fear. Yeah. Shit. What's going to happen? All of a sudden, everyone's buying takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank. Did like, you find? Give me an example of the percentage of people buying takeaways pre-pandemic compared yeah. to in the pandemic and now. Well, it's grown. Yeah. It's grown. Um, and we were always quite strong on takeaway and delivery. It's something that we thought we were good. We could become good at yeah. and known for. Um, because of the convenience factor of ordering deliveries and or you know eating at home. Um, before the pandemic, we were probably sixty five percent takeaway delivery. Yeah. Um, during the pandemic, we were one hundred percent takeaway yeah. delivery. Um, and then post pandemic, it's gone up to probably seventy percent. Wow. So it's a bit okay. it's grown a bit in yeah. regards to like the, the channel mix. Yeah. Um, you know, going forward, we've actually just taken another site, uh, which I can't tell you about yet because we haven't signed the deal. But it's local, uh, and that's going to be in take- Bristol. No, no, no. That's that. That's another I one that I can tell you about. Yeah. Uh, that's opening next week. Um, it's a delivery only delivery site in Bristol. In Bristol. What made you choose Bristol? Obviously, the demographics huge there, and it's De- a delivery, big yeah. city, university city as well. Delivery came to us and said, "We've got this uh, additions kitchen. They yeah. call them. It's like one of these warehouses. They've got like ten kitchens in there, yeah. and it's delivery only. There's yeah. no shop front. And um, this is once become available." What, they don't become available very often. Yeah. We think Chicken and Blues could do really well in Bristol with Brilliant. the category you're in, etc. Come and do it. So we're doing it with them. Um, but we've taken another site locally, uh, which we'll be announcing soon. Whereabouts? Um, uh, east towards Christchurch. Okay. Um, Good location. Yeah, very good for us, we think. Um, And that's going to be takeaway collections and deliveries only, no eat-in. So we're we're trying different formats to see how we can do. I say we haven't found yet the exact. Yeah. I think we're going to probably bring chicken and blues into different formats, small, yeah. medium, large. Yeah. And this is going to be a small one. Obviously, you're 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 moving out now. You're just gently, mm. you've built the brand, you've, you've built mm. nine years of it. You're now going to go to Bristol. By having more shops doesn't mean more profit. No. Sometimes it can mean more headache. But you have to test the water with the shop to see if it's a winner or not, right? You do. I think what we've what we've also done, uh, you are right. Mm. I mean, yeah, more, more, more businesses doesn't mean more profit. Mm. Absolutely not. Um, what we've done with just our two restaurants now, we sold Boscombe, I didn't say in the pandemic, yeah. to someone, and then that, that t- turned us into a two-group site, yeah. a two-site group, yeah. uh, which is more profitable immediately because yeah. we didn't have the overhead of Boscombe, yeah. which shared the Winton orders a little yeah. bit. Um, but we, what we've done is we've brought in um, an operations manager mm. uh, from Pizza Hut. He was there for 12 years. He's amazing operationally. He used to do multi-site. Yeah. That's quite lumpy for us to have with two restaurants, so actually opening more restaurants extends their... Okay. Have you brought him on full-time? Yeah. On a salary? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so he pays. We pay him well. Um, so opening more restaurants actually gives him more to do. More to do. Uh, we can spread the cost. Mitch, you can spread it three ways now, that's rather it. than two ways. That's okay, it. that's it. So that's how we're kind of doing it. And, what, and what's the big plan then for Chicken and Blues? You've been going nine years. Have you yeah. got like a big vision? Because you look at the brands that have been going for yeah. 30, 40, 50 years. They took time. Everyone sees them mm. now as big brands. Hopefully, we'll be looking back in twenty years' time. Chicken and Blues is one of those big brands around the UK. Do you have a vision for it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I try not to get ahead of myself, um, which I do regularly. Steve always says, mate, relax, we've got yeah. Open Bristol next week. Let's yeah. do that first. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, yeah, of course. I mean, we, we'd love to have a business that, that's multi-generational, yeah. um, whether it's four restaurants, 10 restaurants, 50, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think what we, what, we, what we do now is we just take one step at a time. The next step is opening Bristol. The step after that is opening the site I've just mentioned yeah. and see how we go. Yeah. Give it three months to bed in. Are the team happy? Are the yeah. team excited and ambitious? Are, is, is our motivation still there yeah. to open more, go to more cities, more towns? Um, I think it will be because you get on a bit of a roll. Yeah. If you think, oh, we can do that, we can, do, we can now do that. Yeah. And we get the modelling right. Does um, that excite you? Oh, it does. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can it's, see it's, it's, face, a, it's yeah. a dream. Yeah. It's a dream. I mean, ever since the nightclub days, yeah. it's hard to scale nightclub groups. Yeah. Bloody hell. But, um, you know, especially when you've got to be there yourself yeah. to welcome everyone in like yeah. I was. But with this, we've got like a, we've, we've got a, we've created a brand. We're, we're trying to become a great company to work for. Yeah. That's a massive priority for us. Make sure our team members love working for us. Yeah. And that's a huge that's focus. Huge focus mm. for us. Um, wasn't maybe years ago. Yeah. Now it is. Yeah. And obviously, product's good. We're refining it constantly. Ne never take anything less than top quality products. Yeah. Um, and make sure our guest experience scores are high. That's yeah. the three things we work on. Um, if we keep doing that, who knows where we can end up? Yeah. I'm not going to say we're going to have 100 restaurants. Yeah. No, stupid. I've been, yeah. I've, I've, I've acted like that in the yeah. past. Yeah. Uh, no, it's one at Build time. it slowly. Build it. And when I'm, I'm 40, yeah. when I'm 60, yeah. I'd like to look back and go, well, that was, at least I got it right in the end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Give me an example so the listeners can hear if they go mm. to a chicken and blues, what they can order, why it's so different to any other chicken shop. Um, okay. Well, I think the um, one of the good things about chicken and blues is that it hits quite a few different types of uh, people in regards to healthy people. Yeah. We've got a great plant-based offering now. Yeah. Um, people that want to have a, you know, you, your, your guy that works for you here said yeah. he loves the wings. You yeah. know, the wings is a real- The whole, of, the whole office here raves about yeah. the wings. They wear they, the black gloves. They wear the black gloves. I can't yeah. believe you give them black rubber gloves to I, wear. I know, it's, it's a good addition actually. It's less messy. But yeah, um, so, yeah so you can come to, to, to chicken with different occasions, yeah. you know, healthy lunch or, or a real Sunday cheat day, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we hit lots of different demographics uh, for that. What I would also say is, is that, um, we worked out. We actually spoke to a, a, a statistician the other the other month who told us that we actually have one thousand four hundred variants of our wraps yeah. because you can choose different add-ons, different sauces, right, okay. these sorts of things. So you can have five people around a table that go to Chicken Blues all the chicken wraps, yeah. but they'll have them differently. Yeah, brilliant. so it's just a personalization is, is huge, mm, um, mm. and you feel like you own that that meal. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that that's a couple of good things, but also. Um, we, we focus really, really heavily on on um, consistency and product quality yeah. and guest experience scores and yeah. know that over time, keep making little improvements, no no huge jumps, but little little steps of improvement. Yeah. We call it the Kaizen Japanese philosophy yeah. of improvement. That's one of our one of our brand values. Yeah. Um, over the course of four or five years, you make a huge leap, but mm. it doesn't seem like much week on week. Yeah. It might be a tweak on that product, a tweak on that packaging. That's what I say to, that's yeah. what I say to everyone at HQ here. Yeah. Let's improve 1% every single day. Amazing. Whether you're yeah. on the brand, whether it's yeah. whatever it may be, yeah. the communication, the social media, the brand, how you're talking to customers, exactly. the experience, one percent every single day. That's what we're after. Exactly. Do that for three hundred sixty-five days on the trot. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I think you know, over the years, maybe we've tried to make giant leaps overnight, yeah. and it's impossible. Yeah. It, it, it upsets the team, it upsets the customers, yeah. it upsets the apple cart generally. Yeah. So you know, small incremental improvements. You've been in this town now, Bournemouth Town, for twenty yeah. years. Yeah. Why do you think Bournemouth is like it is today, the Bournemouth Town Centre with the shops boarded up and the way everything is? Um, oh, lots of reasons, I, I, I think. Um, obviously, the move to online retail, 
retail was, you know, my, my family got with Mark One, like I say, they came from a retail background with those shops. Yeah. There was no internet back then. Yeah. Everyone had to go to the shops to buy clothes. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember the last time my wife said, I'm going to shopping in town. Yeah. Why? I mean, what, what the reasons of people going into the town centre have changed. Yeah. doesn't mean that town centre can't be great, mm. um, but I think it's going to have to shift to leisure, hospitality, food, experiences, mm. um, you know, art galleries, mm. you know, some more stuff that gets you out of your house that you mm. can't buy on the internet. Mm. Um, that's part of the reason. I also think that, that rent and rates are just ridiculous. Give me um, an example of that because everyone's constantly talking about yeah. rent and rates, but your normal bod on the street or the normal person in business mm. doesn't understand the rent and rates. Could you just give me an example? Well, what are the, yeah. Is it the council rent and rates too high for the, for the businessman in that shop? Well, the way the way that business rates work, I think they're set fifty percent of your rent, pretty much, no, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's um, I think it's forty percent of the rateable value is what you're payable. So, give me an example. If you're paying hundred okay. grand, for example, yeah, hundred yeah. grand rent, you're yeah. going to be paying forty or fifty grand to yes. the council for yes. rates. Yes, yes, exactly. What would you do? Well, I, I probably wouldn't take the site because because um, in our business, in, yeah. hospi in, in hospitality, um, the margins are. Tight, yeah. especially now with with the cost inflation and yeah. everything else, VAT at twenty percent, etc. You can't yeah. keep putting your menu prices up. Yeah. Um, it becomes marginal as a business. And in fact, I, I look, we're looking at a site in the town centre not mm. not so long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and it was exactly that kind of mix: yeah. hundred grand rent, fifty, yeah. sixty grand rates payable. And I was like, bloody hell! Like we've got to take some serious cash yeah. um, to actually just break even. So yeah. if you if you could wave a magic wand yeah. and you were in charge of Bournemouth. And saying this is what I believe we need to do to give people an opportunity to earn money here, mm. to get people back into shops so they're not boarded up. Yeah. What would you do? Um, I think there needs to be an overhaul of rates generally, nationally. Yeah. Um, maybe you know they should be reworked. Yeah. They're based on historic uh, buildings yeah. and not taking into account Amazon and yeah. all the online retailers. Yeah. They should be contributing to that. Uh, if business rates were twenty or thirty percent of yeah. what they are now. That makes more palatable. Up, yeah. uh, landlords, I think, are being quite um, commercial. You know, they're, they're giving rent-free periods and these yeah. sorts of things, but that'll get people back in. Um, the types of businesses going in is really important. It's yeah. got to be right, the right mix. You don't want to be full of national chains up and down the high yeah. street. You've got to get some nice Boring, independence in yeah. there. Yeah. Having said that, I think the Ivy coming to Wolves is really great yeah. for, for the town centre. It's a really brilliant operator, and it's a, that's a kind of a, a, a vote of confidence for mm. Bournemouth Town Centre. They're, mm. they're even coming here. Uh, but I walk through Bournemouth Town Centre, and I, I sometimes feel a bit, you know, upset at what I'm same, seeing. You know, same. I'm like, it's 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 got all the potential in the world. We've got Agreed. the best beaches in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, it's best it's, climate. Yeah, it's clean. Loads of it's, Premier Football Club. We've got Bournemouth Sevens Festival. We've got all. Yeah. The, we've got Air Show. We've got all these wonderful yeah. things. We've got some great operators, yeah. but doesn't seem to be. That doesn't feel it. Um, I think I, th I think it's probably the same in a lot of towns around the UK mm. um, as well. You know, especially we are a seaside resort. Yeah. You know, we are we are kind of reliant on weather. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, we're packed all summer. But then go go down to Bournemouth Seafront January the tenth yeah. when it's raining, it might as well be closed. Yeah, um, and there's no tourists around, so mm. we are we are tourist related or tourist. But you reliant. say that we are tourist related. I just think that as an added bonus. I think there's five hundred thousand people in yeah. Bournemouth Christchurch Pool. There's enough people there. We just need yeah. to get people, give them a reason to go in there. I don't go into. Well, I go to Bournemouth once, twice a year, I Max, know. and I have a quick. Yeah. 10 minute round, God, there's nothing here, get me out. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and, and, and I find it interesting that you see Wimborne massively rising, Christchurch, yeah. Westbourne, Southbourne, yeah. but it doesn't seem that Bournemouth's got that I, edge I, anymore. I'll I, I tell you what, I tell, yeah, one, one of the things I think needs, needs to happen, and obviously out of town industrial shopping estates like Castle Point yeah. don't do us any favours. Yeah. You know? 
thousands of free car parking spaces. Very good, though. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's a brilliant service, but it does Bournemouth Town Centre no favours. Yeah. Um, you know, parking charges in the town centre have got to be there, otherwise people are going to leave their cars everywhere. Yeah. I, get, I get that. Um, but I, I just think that probably Bournemouth Town Centre needs another thirty or 40,000 people living there. Mm. Um, you know, residential development in Bournemouth Town Centre is going to create neighbourhoods and community hubs of people that live there all year. Yeah. Um, so you can, you know, what, what are they going to do? They're going to go to restaurants and cafes and bars and shopping yeah. in, in, in their local town which yeah. happens to be Bournemouth Town Centre. Yeah. They're only living in Westbourne, Southbourne, all these yeah. other areas. Yeah. Let's build 10, 20, 30,000 flats around Bournemouth Town Centre yeah. so that these people are there all year. And, yeah. and, and then suddenly the streets are busier. Yeah. And yeah, then you're right. Um, during tourist season, it is a bonus. Yeah, I agree. But at the moment, it's, it's dead in the yeah. winter. It's dead. No one yeah. there. Yeah. And um, only the nationals. Like, Wagon Mama's always busy. Yeah. But I see always independents in Town Centre. Struggling. They, they look like they could be. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's horrible to see. I'm an independent operator myself. Yeah. I want to do well. Yeah. But they're, they're fighting an uphill battle yeah. because of the lack of footfall out of season, lack of reasons to come to town. Yeah. Well, if people don't want to come to town, make, get people living in town. Yeah. Then, but then but my point is, why has Southbourne got brilliant operators and their independence mm. and it's packed and beautiful? Why has Wimborne got loads of independence? Why has Christchurch got loads mm. of independence? All of these are thriving, these areas. They are. They are. Well, I think because I think because people don't want to go to town, and and you know what's happened. The local high streets in mm. these neighbourhoods have, have have had a second lease of life. Yeah. Because you want to walk looking around, after each other. Yeah, aren't you they? want to walk around from your house, go yeah. to your local cafe, go to your local pub, butchers. go to your local butchers. Yeah. It's kind of gone a bit old school yeah. in a sense. People don't go to which town. is lovely. It's brilliant. Mm. Um, but maybe they need to try and create that kind of buzz in the town centre, and that comes from residential development, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know making the making the big shops and stuff, not retail shops, but more restaurants, more experiences, yeah. you know, bowling alleys, stuff yeah. you can do with your friends, yeah. um, stuff that gets you out of your house, yeah. um, which at the moment, you know, they all seem to be trying to do the same thing. Agree. Yeah. Josh, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this, mate. So have I. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. Really enjoyed it. It's, I, I love to hear your honesty. I can see how you've changed over the years, like we all yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. We all change and improve and tweak. Yeah. And I think you're on a wonderful journey with Chicken and Blues, and I wish you and Steve all the best. Thank you, mate. You're a gentleman. And you, mate. Good man. Cheers, Roger. Cheers, Josh. Thanks. Bye, mate.